Good morning, church. Those of you online, welcome to everybody. Well, the Holy Spirit is here. Amen. I hope you are, you, even as we worship, you become aware of His presence. And He can fire us up at any moment He wants. In fact, He's always willing to fire us up. We are the ones that very often ignore Him. But He's right here. He's with you right now. He's in you right now. So be open this morning to just respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart, in your life. Amen? Hallelujah. We'll be taking part in communion, as it was said before, after the message. So those of you online, you know, get your bread and juice ready, and we're going to have a great time together. Well, we remembered and celebrated Pentecost last Sunday. Remember? It was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, that event in Acts 2 resulted in a group of people group of the disciples who became fired up, fired up for Jesus, fired up for God, and they turned their world upside down. Amen? That was 2,000 years ago. But the question is this, could men and women today get fired up like they did? <laughs> you know, that's the question. And very often we, we read these things and we, we read the book of Acts and uh, we wonder, man, I wish I was there. I wish I was part of that. Well, guess what? You are there and you are part of that. Because if you take a look at the book of Acts, it doesn't end. <laughs> the book of Acts is the beginning of the story of the church. Our church, the followers of Jesus Christ. I don't mean our name, I mean the church of Jesus Christ which is comprised of lots of local churches of which we are one of those local churches. But the whole body of Christ across the earth, we are a continuation of the book of Acts. And if you read the first one, it says what Jesus began to do and teach. And Jesus continues to work today through his church, through you and through me. So can that happen today still? The answer is yes, I believe it is still possible. And I want to share with you this morning this message called Fired Up. Amen. I'd like to share a little bit about that. And we're going to start on Pentecost Sunday. Let's start today where we left off last week. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 4 quickly. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, I love this about God, often He moves suddenly. Sometimes when you least expect is when he moves, when he does whatever he does. So be open, guys. Please be open and prepared for the suddenlies of God. If you trust in God for something, keep trusting because suddenly he will do it. When Jesus told the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait over there for the Spirit to come upon you. They had no idea when that day would be. Some of them maybe thought, well... Jesus rose on the third day, maybe in three days' time, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to come. But it didn't come in three days' time. Maybe some of them thought, hey, the world was created in seven days, so maybe in seven days' time, the Holy Spirit is going to come. It didn't come in seven days. <laughs> it came suddenly on the tenth day, okay, which was the 50th day after Pentecost, all right? And that's what Pente, uh, I explained last Sunday, Pente. Pentecost means 50th. The 50th days, it was a, a feast of the Jews, all right? So suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we learned last Sunday that this day is called Pentecost because it was 50 days of the Passover. It was the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. It was a Jewish feast. It was seven weeks between Pentecost, between uh, Passover and Pentecost. It was the time of the wheat harvest, seven weeks of wheat harvest. And then on the 50th day, they would come and celebrate and give thanks for the harvest. Amen? And so that's what it was. It was also uh, a, a feast to celebrate the giving of the Lord to Moses on Mount Sinai, which happened 50 days after they left uh, Egypt, after Passover. And so the text says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. This means that the celebrations at the temple were being done. It, it, it was a day of Pentecost. It had fully come, and so the Pentecost celebrations were taking place at the temple. And I mentioned last week that part of the celebration was the waving of two loaves before the Lord. Two loaves made with freshly harvested wheat. It was the first fruits. And, and the tradition was that nobody could touch their harvest. They couldn't enjoy their harvest until this feast had taken place and these waves and these loaves have been waved before the Lord. Then they, everybody then could enjoy their harvest and, and eat it and whatever they do, did with it. It was the first fruits of the harvest. I also said last week that later in the sermon I would explain what they symbolized, but I got so carried on with the message focusing on the purpose of Pentecost, I never came back to it. Thank you for one brother which reminded me of it, okay? And maybe those of you noticed it but didn't say anything, but here it goes. So let me quickly, before I carry on, give you the meaning of those two lobes. The Apostle Paul says that uh, in Colossians 2 that all the religious feasts of the Jews, the, the, the feasts which God told them to perform. There were seven feasts altogether in, in three uh, different occasions in the year. And, and, and Paul says all those feasts of the Old Testament was actually pointing to something in the future. He said they actually pointed to events around Jesus. And he said that, that the, the, the feasts are a shadow, but the reality was found in Christ. And so all the Jewish feasts commanded by God actually pointed to events around Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. And so far, about four, well, so far four of these feasts have been fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah, they are. First of all, the Passover, what we call Easter. It, that Passover feast pointed to the Messiah as our Passover lamb, whose blood would be shed for our sins. Jesus was crucified during the time of Passover, while the Passover was observed. That's the time when Jesus was crucified. Christ is a lamb without blemish or defect because his life was completely free from sin. And just like that very first Passover marked the, the Hebrews' release from Egyptian slavery, so the death of Jesus marks our release from the slavery of sin, free from sin because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Then there was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. happened that same weekend as well. And that pointed to the Messiah's sinless life. Okay, because, you know, in the Bible, leaven is an indication of sin, of impurity. 
And so unleavened bread means bread without, symbolizes without impurity. And Jesus was that for us. Made Jesus the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' body was in the grave during the first few days of that feast. Remember he said that unless a grain dies, it cannot bring a harvest. And so the grain was dead, was buried, and it pointed that. And that's why Paul refers to, 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 to Jesus uh, around this, these whole, whole feasts. Then the third one, the third feast, is the first fruits, or what we call Resurrection Sunday. And that pointed to the Messiah's resurrection as the first fruits of the righteous. In that feast, they would bring some barley sheaves and wave before the Lord. It was the first fruits of the harvest. Remember, that's the first fruits, and Pentecost was the completion of the harvest. So the first fruits, it pointed to the Messiah's resurrection as the first fruits of the righteous. Jesus was resurrected on that very day, which is one of the reasons that Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits from the dead. He was the first one to be resurrected from the dead, never to die again. And Paul said, we are going to follow. He's the first fruits. All of us are going to follow on resurrection day, never to die again. We'll be transformed or resurrected. And then there was the seven weeks in between, and then came Pentecost. And fourth, on the week of, at the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost, that occurred 50 days after the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and pointed to the great harvest of souls and the gift of the Holy Spirit for both Jews and Gentiles. And this is a harvest feast. And so the symbolism for us in the New Testament is it is harvest time. All right? And so it is the harvest which the gift of the Holy Spirit would be poured upon people. And there would be a harvest of souls, both Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Who would be brought into the kingdom of God during the church age. The church we are living, the age we are living in right now. And therefore, the two loaves which were waved before the Lord, they signified that not only the nation of Israel would be part of that harvest of souls, but also all other Gentile nations, Romans, Greeks, and everybody else, all of us who are not Jews would be included in that harvest. Now remember, as Peter preached on that day of Pentecost, he said that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Not just Jews, everyone. Later in that same sermon, he says, For this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Those far off people, that's us. We are far away from that day. But today we are still included in the promise. Hallelujah. Far off, but included. Amen. And so that statement encompasses everybody. So that is the significance of the two loaves. Jews, Gentiles would be part of that harvest. And uh, on, the, on that day, so, so about the same time in the temple that the, the priests were doing the wave offering, about the same time in the upper room, the Holy Spirit was falling upon the disciples. The gospel was preached. And that day, the church was established. After Peter preached, about 3,000 Jews responded to his sermon 
that day. But very soon after that, Romans, Greeks, and other nationalities began to respond to the gospel. And a great harvest of souls began and continues until today to love Jews and Gentiles. And today, Jews and Gentiles are invited to be part of the kingdom of God and can be part. Amen? So that is the significance of the two loves. But now, back to what happened on that day with the disciples. We know from Acts 1.15 that there were about 120 people gathered in the upper room. And then they heard this huge sound, and then the flames and tongues of fire were floating around them. There's, there's one translation of that verse, uh, verses 2 and 3, which puts it like this. I'm going to read it to you, Acts chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 from the Passion Translation. Uh, it says, Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. So this sound came from heaven, all right? The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could, could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. Wow. Well, the Holy Spirit filled all the people that were gathered before. And they began to miraculously speak in tongues that they had never learned. As the Holy Spirit fire came upon them, they instantly became a church on fire. Amen? And they began to do things that they couldn't do before. They spoke in languages they didn't know, but people understood them. The whole city came running to them. They were a church on fire. Miracles were done. People were ready to see what was going on. The Word of God was preached People were being saved by their thousands. The whole town was changed forever. Well, that led to Asia and Europe being changed forever. That led to the world being changed forever, which resulted in those of us today who are Christians being changed forever. Amen? So you see, a church on fire can change generations for God. Because they were changed by the power of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. It has resulted in waves and waves and waves of change throughout the centuries, reaching right out to today, where across the world, people are still being changed today by the message of the gospel, by people who are fired up with the message of Christ and are preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, inviting people to meet up with Jesus. Hallelujah. It goes on today. Now think about what could happen in our city if we had some people on fire, if we had a church on fire for God like that. Huh? What will it take to get some fired up men, some fired up women, some fired up young people huh? to get them to get fired up God? What will it take? Well, listen, what does it take to get a huge fire going? You know, sometimes we hear of these huge forest fires. Most of them are, are very destructive, unfortunately. But when the fire of the Holy Spirit hits you, it does not destroy you. It builds you up. It changes you and helps you to change others. But what you need for a good fire? You need wind. You need wind. You need a flame. And you need something to burn. Some material to burn, right? 
If those three elements come together, you're going to get a fire, man. All right? Good wind, a flame, and something to burn. So, number one, let's talk about the fire. A fire needs a good wind. Let's talk about the wind, a good wind. Where are you going to find a good wind? On that day in the upper room, they heard the sound of wind. There was wind in the upper room, right? They heard this blast sound of wind. Well, did you know, did you know that the Greek word for spirit is the same word as for wind? When you read the Greek New Testament, when it says Holy Spirit, it's actually Holy Wind. <laughs> the, the Greek word is pneuma, pneuma, and it means wind. So that wind that you heard in the upper room was the Spirit, the Spirit. So what better wind to get us fired up than God the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit fired up the first church, didn't he? And I have no doubt that he wants to get us fired up too. The Holy Spirit is still available to people today. He didn't come and visit on the day of Pentecost and go back home now. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people at certain times only. But on the day of Pentecost, he came to stay. And where does he live? In Jerusalem? In the temple? Oh, in this house, because it's a church. No. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He lives in you. As a believer of Jesus, when you, when you commit your life to Jesus, that connection takes place, and He comes to live in you. We need to become aware that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in us. But He doesn't want just to be in us. He wants to fill us. He wants to guide us. He wants to speak to us. He doesn't just want to be a seal, a mark in our spirits that indicates that we are saved, that we are linked to Jesus. He wants to be a part of our daily lives. And being filled with the Spirit simply means acknowledging that He is there and saying, Holy Spirit, fill every area of my being. Move in me and move through me. That first time was a very dramatic thing because it was the first time that it was happening. From then on, it began to become easier and easier and easier as people began to understand the working of the Holy Spirit. But it's still working today, and He is in us. We as Christians, we have access to the Holy Spirit. He is our spiritual oxygen, keeping us connected to the Son and the Father. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And if you'll submit to Him, He will lead us in all truth and righteousness. Think of the potential that we have in dwelling within us. We have God in us, willing to fill us with His presence. We have God in us, waiting for us to submit to Him. So that we can be used greatly for Him. So the first element needed to start a church on fire is already available. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Remember the words of Jesus? In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. 
the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Notice those two words. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because they can't see him and they don't know him. But you, you Christians, you followers of Jesus, you know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. Hallelujah. Now you see why the world cannot know the Spirit of God? The world wants to know things. They want to, they want to fully understand things. They want a formula. They want an explanation. They want detail. All right? And they want to see things. If you can't see it, if you can't measure it, if you can't explain it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> Problem is, God is spirit. He belongs to a higher dimension than the three-dimensional world we live in. It was that dimension that created the world we live in. It's a higher dimension. And the lower dimension can never have full understanding of a higher dimension. But because the world, the worldly mindset, wants to know things and understand things and see things, they've got no clue what's happening with the Holy Spirit and with spiritual things. God is spirit. And he has been revealed to us by faith in Jesus. We believe first, and then you see. Understand that? You believe first, and then you see. Then your eyes are opened. And you begin to understand things. We have the wind of the Spirit, the, we, the, which is needed for the fire to get fired up. So, we've got the wind. Now, what about the fire? Number two, we need fire, uh, a flame. To have a fire, you need a flame. We've got the wind. We need a flame. Well, what happened in the upper room? They saw flames <laughs> coming down there. Well, we need a flame. In the book of Jeremiah, we read the following. Jeremiah 23, the first part of verse 29 says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? Then in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, verse 9, it says, But if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Jeremiah is saying, you know, if I try to keep quiet, if I try not to speak in the name of the Lord, if I try not to bring his message out, I cannot. It burns. The word of God burns within me. Remember when Jesus was talking to those two disciples and they were going, you know, on the road and Jesus appeared to them and began to speak to them? They said, man, wasn't that like a burning inside us? The word of God was burning inside us as Jesus spoke. You see, as you get the Word of God, as you begin to read the Word and, 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 and get into the Word, it begins to burn in us. begins to say, man, this is it. Those disciples were in the upper room. What do you think they were doing? They were praying. They were talking about what Jesus had said. They were rehearsing the teachings of... They were filled with the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit found there people which had the fire of God already in them. The Word of God was in them already. God's word is the flame. It is the message of God which we hear and gets us going. We get motivated, moved by the word of God. We are given instructions by the word of God. We are given rules to live by, by the word of God. We learn what is right and what is wrong from the word of God. We hear the word of God as we read the, the Bible. 
And sometimes as you're reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit will take a portion or a verse and kind of it jumps out at us and you know, God is speaking to me right now through this verse. Sometimes the Holy Spirit drops a thought in your heart. It's the Word of God. Maybe it drops a guidance, a direction. Do this. Say that. Don't go there. Go there. It's the Word of God in us. It's not happening here. It's happening here. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Word of God. And the Word of God is that flame that we need to respond to. As I said earlier, the world wants to know things. Well, the child of God also wants to know things, all right? But we start by getting to know the Scriptures. Then the Holy Spirit can open our eyes as we read and as we hear the Scriptures to understand things and see things. Sometimes people, they, they live a life outside of Christ, outside of the church, and then one day they meet Jesus, become born again. And many have said it's as if scales fall off their eyes. They begin to see things which they could never see before. They begin to feel things they never felt before. They begin to have pain and distress which they never had before. You know why? Because now they're looking at the world through the eyes of God. And things which never bothered them before now begins to bother them because they know it's against the word of God. And people are destroying themselves by turning their backs on the word of God. You see? The word of God becomes a fire. And the wind of the Holy Spirit blows that fire. So the second element needed to get people fired up is already available to us. We have the Bible, the word of God, which does not have errors. The term there is inerrant. And which will not fail. Infallible. The word of God has not failed thus far. And it will not fail in the future. Every single word, every single prophecy has been fulfilled and the ones that haven't will be fulfilled because it's the word of God. This earth shall pass away, but the word of God shall not. Huh? We have the flaming gospel of Jesus Christ needed for the fire. Okay, so the first two elements needed to get people fired up are already available. So number three, a fire needs something to burn, all right? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and filling us. We have the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible available to us. What is missing is the third element, something to burn. What is going to burn? <laughs> that third element is you. That third element is us. You see? The third element is people. Who did the Holy Spirit find in the upper room? People. People were open to the word of God. People who were willing. And when the fire of the Holy Spirit blew upon them, man, they took off. And how did you know that the word of God was in them? Look at what Peter said. Peter's supposed to be a simple fisherman. Go and read his sermon. Theologically correct, he knows the Bible, he knows the Old Testament, he knows the interpretation and the correct application of the Word of God. Man, he just spit it out there, he put it forward. The Word of God was in him, fire. 
And as he preached, people got convicted and came to know the Lord. You see, the third element is people. All that is needed to have our city or our church fight up for God is you. No matter where you are listening online, no matter which city, which country you are, God needs you fired up to be a blessing to those around you. God needs us here fired up in this city to be a blessing to those around us. We need people who are filled and in submission to the Holy Spirit. Fill the Holy Spirit and in submission to Him. Amen? We need people who have the flame of the Word of God burning within them. We need people who are not afraid to take a stand for Jesus in a fallen, sinful world. We need people who are not ashamed to live their lives for the glory of God. We need people who see the world lost and dying and going to hell without Jesus. We need people who see that and we have a passion to communicate the gospel so that those people do not go to hell. Unfortunately, many believers are passive. Oh, it's okay. I've got Jesus in my heart. I know what I'm going when I die. Hallelujah. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. This world is so bad. I want to go to heaven. Come, Lord Jesus. And they do nothing in the meantime. It's like that, that, that Christian chap, you know, he was going to go to the army. And, and his boss said, man, I pray that God will, will strengthen you because it's going to be tough in the army. You know, those guys are going to challenge your faith and so on. So the Lord bless you. That the guy goes to the army. When he comes back from, from his term of serving, the pastor approaches him and says, hey, say, my boy, how was it? Did you manage to, to hold on to your faith while in the army? Did they, what, what happened? Did they tease you and so on? He says, no, pastor, they didn't even know I was a Christian. Not good. If you live your life in such a way that nobody knows you're a Christian, something is wrong, man. Because we as believers, we just, we just stick out. People just know. Even if you don't talk about it, your way of life will show it. I remember when I was just a student and, and got into a, a, a group of, of other students, within a week, and I hadn't really started connecting with people, talking much. I was just about my work. And a friend of mine comes and says, Hey, Valdir, you're a Christian, right? I say, Yeah, why? How do you know? He says, No, man, just, just watching you. I can see. No, the way you behave, the way you talk, you're a Christian, man. I'm one too. Hey, brother. You know? People will see it, man. Our attitude, our language, our approach. When Jesus changes us, the world notices it. They might not like it because we kind of expose their weakness sometimes, but it will be noticed. When you're sold out for Jesus, that's what we need. We need you sold out to the one who sold out for you. We need you burning up for worshiping our Lord. Worshiping with your whole being, spirit, soul, and body. Worship is not just something you do inside. Some people say, no, I'm worshiping on the inside. There's no such thing. Worship involves your spirit, involves your soul, your mind. You think about what you say. You ponder on the words that you're singing and that you're saying as you worship God. And it involves your body. Involves your voice, you say something, you sing something. Involves your hands, involves your feet, because you worship God with your whole body. 
Imagine if I lived a life where, you see, worship and, 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 and praise and worship is an expression of love, okay? So imagine if I express my love to my wife just inwardly. Do you love your wife? Oh, I love her so much. And have you told her so? Oh, I don't need you. I just, I don't need her. I just, I love her inside so much. But then I never spoke to her. I never hugged her. I never expressed my love to her. We, we have a wonderful relationship, right? <laughs> you go to watch your favorite team play. Whatever sport you're crazy about. Watch your favorite team play. So you, you go to the stadium, okay? To the stadium. You're given first-class tickets. And you're there, man. The whole crowd there. You're watching your team. And so you just sit on your chair with your Coke, and you watch. Is that what you do? <laughs> you're shouting. You're, your whole body is involved. You go to a concert. You're right. Your favorite group or favorite singer, whatever. And you're you watching, you clap, yes, you enjoying the music, you, your whole body's involved. And then you come to church to worship the Lord. And that's what many Christians give to God. Let the Spirit fire you up. We need, we need fired up Christians. This is where it starts. If you're going to show emotion, if you're going to get fired up, it's in the house of God. It's in the presence of God. It's as you're worshiping the Lord. Hello? Oh, but I don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel. Do a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes worshiping God and praising God is a sacrifice. Do you think I wake up on Sunday mornings every single Sunday morning and I feel like I'm into church every single Sunday morning? Ask my wife. How many times are I telling on Sunday morning, honey, tell the pastor I'm not coming to church today. I'm too tired. I want to sleep. And then she reminds me, honey, you are the pastor. Oh, I've got to go to church. So on those Sundays, I just do it anyway. I do a sacrifice, man. Sacrifice is something you don't do because you want to do it. That's why it's called a sacrifice. You do a sacrifice of praise. You come anyway, and you start praising God. You know what happens? Within a few minutes, man, you begin to get fired up, and you begin to worship the Lord, and you begin to clap, and you begin to sing. Next thing you know, it's not a sacrifice anymore. It's a pleasure. It's a joy. But you've got to start. You have to start. That's obedience. That's allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. We need you burning up for your friends and neighbors that should be here with you today. I wonder how many people you know that need Jesus. Are you praying for them? Have you planted the seed of the gospel in their lives? Have you told them that Jesus cares for them? Have you offered to pray for them? Have you invited them to, to come to church with you or to watch the service online? We need you flaming up. To impact this community for Christ. So, do we have anyone who wants to burn up for Jesus here in this house this morning? Do we have anyone online that wants to burn up for Jesus today? 
Do we have anyone who wants to be part of a fired up people in this church and in this city? Now, I know that many of us are fired up. But my call this morning, my desire is for every one of us to be fired up and to desire more of God and more of the fire of God. No matter how fired up you are, man, there is more for you. Because God is infinite. Amen? You can never get enough of God. And God wants to expand and, and use us more. Maybe you are sitting here or maybe you are watching and, and, and online. And you feel right now the, 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 the pull now to get to know Jesus closely this way. Maybe some of you are watching or listening or even sitting here. You're not even close to Jesus right now. You maybe don't even consider yourself a believer. You may have some doubts. But you want to be fired up. You want to know what I'm talking about here. Well, don't resist. Right now, surrender your life to Christ. You don't have to come to the front. Right where you are, right where you're watching or listening. You can just surrender your life to Jesus. Remember what the word of God says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So call out. Just say, Lord, forgive me. Save me, Lord Jesus. This promise is for you too. So embrace that today. I'm going to ask the ushers now to distribute, please, our communion sets. Please go ahead right now while I complete this message. And for those of you online, get your bread and juice ready as well, please. And you're going to have communion now. And as you do, I want you to answer these questions that I've asked. But don't answer it to me, okay? I'm not going to make an outer call now. I'll come forward. No, no. This is between you and God. I want you to answer it to him. And here's the questions again. Do we have anyone who wants to burn up for Jesus Christ? Do we have anyone who wants to be part of a fired up people in this church and in this city? To be fired up believer, you need to submit to the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge his presence. He is in you. Listen to his voice. As someone who has believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, invite him to fill you. How do I do that? Simply say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill every area of my being. Fill me with your presence, Lord. Invite him to guide you. How do you do that? Holy Spirit, guide me. And that prayer is a daily prayer. Guide me today, Holy Spirit, as I go about my work, as I go to school, as, as, as I go to enjoy myself even. You help guide me, Lord, because God wants to use you no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Home, school, community, university, during your time of recreation, He wants to use you and cause you to be a blessing to others. Become aware of his presence in you. To be a fire believer, you need the word of God. Think, meditate in his word. Take time to read his word. Take time to ponder on what you hear in church on Sundays. Doesn't help you come to church and you, the minute you drive out the gate, you forget about what you heard. The minute you turn the, the TV or your device off, you forget about the message. No. Think about, ponder on the message. Ponder on the word of God. Take time to read his word. Be committed to read the word of God on your own, but also committed to study the word at church meetings like this, together with your spiritual family. And then, let the spirit and the word of God do their work in you. 
As you obey the word of God and respond to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you too will be a person on fire. Now listen, you don't have to have dramatic experiences every day. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were loud and visible and very dramatic, but you don't have to be loud and visible to be on fire. That day, it happened like that. And if you read the book of Acts, there were some instances where some dramatic things happened. But mostly, it was just believers living their lives in obedience to God, quietly going about their lives and telling others about Jesus and helping people and being kind to people and just showing the love of God to people that began to turn the world upside down. Some of them suffered for their faith. Some of them died for their faith. Nothing dramatic about that, nothing, yeah. That is what it takes. People committed to Jesus, to the word of God, to following the Lord, to obeying the Holy Spirit. Are you prepared to be one of those people? Are you willing to take the risk that if necessary, you may be rejected, you may be ridiculed? Depending where you go in this world, it could cost you your life. It takes fired up people to embrace this challenge. Hallelujah. Being on fire is being committed to Jesus and being an expression of the kingdom of God no matter where you are. The world is drenched simply by people who obey the word of God. Therefore, by your simple daily actions, your prayers, your choices, your words, all of that can be used by God to touch the lives of others and to change society. So, as we take communion now, do it in the knowledge that you too have been called to be a fired up disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? As you receive communion, receive a fresh anointing. Renew your determination to be a witness for Jesus, to be led by the Spirit, and to obey the Word of God. Amen? Come, let us stand up. And have communion together. Let's get the bread ready. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Trust you guys online already as well. Here we go. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the fruit of the ground. This bread which reminds us of the body of Jesus. Broken up for us. So that we could be one with each other and one with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work on the cross. And thank you that today we can be a vital part of your church, of your body. We accept, Lord God, that call, that challenge, challenge to be fired up for you, my God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Take and eat and be blessed. Hallelujah. Let's get a cup ready. We thank you, Lord, for the cup. The fruit of the vine, which reminds us of your blood. 
poured forth so that we could have access to you, so that we could be called children of God. And because of that connection with you, Lord, that we could receive the Holy Spirit, which is in us. And so, Holy Spirit, today we just invite you to fill us. I pray you fill this church. Fill everybody taking part in communion with us right now. Those listening to this message, those watching this message, each one of us here present. We say, Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, to become more and more sensitive to your voice, more responsive to your word, both your written word and the word of the Spirit in us, guiding us, leading us, instructing us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the cup of blessing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's drink. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. God is good. And his presence, amen, and his presence is with us. And so as we close the service and as we go forth, see yourself as a fired up person. Oh, but pastor, I didn't feel anything. I want to feel something. No, you don't wait until you feel something. You do it. When the sea opened up, For Moses, the sea opened up and then they crossed. God did something very special there to save them from what was coming. Well, you have been saved already. Later on, when they had to cross the Jordan, God didn't open up the Jordan for them until they got their feet wet. The priests had to first go and get their feet wet and then the water opened. Listen, you got to get your feet wet first. first. That means obedience. You obey first and then the power of God will, will hit you. You first do what you know you should be doing. You respond to God's call. You respond to the word of God. And as you do that, as you obey, then the power of God comes upon you and enables you to do whatever it is he's called you to do. You are fired up. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. You are the fuel for the fire. So let's go, people. Let's go and burn up. Be on fire for Jesus wherever we go this week. Amen? Thank you, Father God, for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, as a church, as a people, wherever we are, Lord God, to be fired up for Jesus, to be instruments in your hands, to no matter what work we do, to do it unto you, my Lord, for your glory and for the blessing of others, Father. And so now, may the love of God, the Father, the peace of, the, uh, the, the peace of Jesus, hallelujah, grace and the peace of Jesus and the fellowship and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, be upon us as we go into this week, Lord. For your glory we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week and see you next Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.